I would ask you please take your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. studying the, uh, chapter 6 of Hebrews. We've been in it two weeks. This will be the third week. We'll, we'll finish chapter 6 this morning. I want to remind you that um, the Bible is God's Word, all of it, and um, that as it is God's Word, God speaks with authority. And the, what His authority was for His people in that day hasn't changed to today. He's still the same, still telling us the same Things, still showing us the same grace in Christ Jesus, still pointing out our need for that grace because of our own sinfulness. It is God's word for us. And so this morning, out of honor for God's word, I would ask you, if you're able, to stand together with us. We'll read Hebrews chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 13. Read through to the end of the chapter. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, I wonder if at any point uh, during this past week you were wondering where is God in all this? Where is he? This just doesn't seem to be uh, happening. If, if a good and loving God is in control, how can, this, how can this happen? It's not necessarily an uncommon question. In fact, uh, there are uh, Christian authors out there who have addressed it with different books. There's a uh, very popular book several years ago entitled, Where is God When It Hurts? And still another one. How can it be all right when everything is all wrong? We, we wonder that, especially when we hear some preachers out there teaching uh, that Christians are to be the most healthy and wealthy and wise of all individuals. And that everything ought to go just right for us and that God will move heaven and earth to give us just what we want in all things. And if it's not going that way, somehow it's our fault. And we go, well, I don't know why it's my fault. I try, I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm faithful in church, I'm faithful in giving, I'm faithful in praying, faithful in reading his word every day and praying to I, I, I do what I can. Why is it that I'm not seeing it? Maybe, maybe I'm not really even saved. Well, the author of 
book of Hebrews, he, uh, he understood he understood this as well. He understood that we need encouragement from God sometimes because we might look around and see everything is not all right. And rather, everything seems to be all wrong. And so he writes in this passage this morning, I think, to encourage us. In fact, he even tells us there in verse 18 that we are to be greatly encouraged by these things. And so I want us to look um, this morning at, at what we have here at uh, Hopefully you got an outline in your bulletin. Yes? No? Yes? No? Anyone? No? No? Oh, it's supposed to be here. Anyway, you're going to have to listen harder then, okay, because there are several points. Um, there are four main points, and so first main point this morning. God's trying to encourage us with his promise, and so uh, we see in verse 12... Uh, we do not want you to become lazy, but to uh, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And so the first question that we have uh, in, in the first point this morning is, what has been promised? What has God promised to us? Is it our best life right now? Is it that we can drive the most expensive car we want, have the biggest house, our kids will grow up to be just the best kids, never any problems? Is that what God has promised? Well, I, I, I don't think so. In fact, when we look at God's promises to us throughout the New Testament, especially we see that God's people are going to endure hardships and trials and difficulties. Now, that is something he has promised to us. But I think particularly what the, uh, what the author of Hebrews is, is wanting us to see and to remember is the uh, promise of inheritance that was given to Abraham. And we're going to see some more about this promise of inheritance given to Abraham because it's to all of Abraham's descendants as well. And in order to understand the promise given to Abraham, um, we would have to go back to Genesis uh, chapter 12 through 22, and you see th these promises. Uh, one of the first things God does when he promises Abraham, he, he brings Abraham out of land, he says, go to the land I'm going to show you. It's going to be your land. I'm going to give you this land. So one of the things is this land, a great inheritance of major land. And it was the land of Canaan. There were other people dwelling there at that time. And we look at that land that was promised today, and we see it's over near the Mediterranean Sea, a little strip of land there we call Israel today. It's quite interesting that if you uh, listen to uh, Richard Pratt, uh, some of his teaching, you can find it online, he shows how when you go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and you see the, the parameters of what was then paradise. They lived in paradise. And he takes you and he shows you because of the rivers that are all there. And in a general sort of way, paradise was the same place that we find what is today the nation of Israel, what was promised to Abraham. So it's like, okay, what, what happened in the garden with paradise? Well, we know what happened with paradise in the garden, right? Um, man was told, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden except for the one you eat of it, you're going to die. And sure enough, he goes and eats it, you know. And uh, as a result um, of, of eating that, um, we see that it, in the end of chapter 3, after God has come to man, man's trying to cover his own nakedness with fig leaves. It doesn't work. God takes animals and makes skins uh, out of the animals to clothe man with. And then at the end of Genesis chapter 3, we see God casting man out of the garden. 
And he's throwing him out and saying, you've got to leave. And he's puts angels there with swords so that they, they can't come back into paradise. Paradise is lost. And so in a sense, when God is promising Abraham this land, he's promising paradise regained. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And so there is this promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. It's there. Now, Israel kind of you know, goes into the land, but we see them lose it with the Babylonian captivity, and then a little bit later on lose it again with Rome coming in. I know that back in 1942 they re-entered the land, but I want you to know, this is kind of a foreshadowing of something greater. Paradise regained is what is promised here. We're going to read in Hebrews chapter 11 where uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they had received this promise of a, of a city and yet they died still having faith that God would fulfill his promise. You see, they were looking forward to a better fulfillment. They were looking forward to a city that was not made with human hands. They were looking forward to a heavenly city. In the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22, what do we see here after the Lord's return? We see the heavens coming down and the new heavens and the new earth coming together and a new Jerusalem. Paradise regained. What a wonderful thing. Man was cast out of the garden and yet... God has promised to restore that to us. So what is promised? Well, part of it is the promise of, of this land, this restoration of paradise for us. What else was lost in the garden? Well, we certainly know that uh, the, uh, the, the covenant, uh, what was the, uh, the covenant uh, promise there? Um, is that you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but if you eat from the one you will surely die. What's the promise? Life. If you obey the covenant of works. But if you disobey it, then there is death. Well, what happens? Man eats the fruit, and sure enough, he dies, right? And death has continued on since that time. But what do we have in God's promise with to Abraham? He's promising him a future with future descendants. And, and Paul's going to talk about the seed of Abraham in Galatians chapter 3 and saying it is Christ. And, and what happens in Christ? Well, new life comes. What was lost in the garden, what is promised to Abraham is a life and a, an eternal life knowing he's going to have his heavenly city. What was lost in the garden, paradise was lost, but it's a promise of restoration that is coming. What else was lost in the garden? Before man ate the fruit, God would come every day and man and, and God would walk in fellowship in the garden, uh, having just beautiful fellowship. And then God comes one day and he can't find man and he finds that he's hiding and he's taking thick leaves and trying to cover himself. And God says, why were you hiding? He says, well, you know, um, well, God says, did you eat that fruit? I told you not to eat. He says, it's this woman, right? And then the woman says it was Satan, and so we know what comes on there in Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> the, uh, the curses that God places on man and woman and the serpent as a result. But what else happens when man is kicked out of the garden? 
there's this fellowship with God that has been has been harmed and done great damage to. What else is lost in the garden is just fellowship with God. So God comes to the people, you know, in, in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, and then, um, and, and then in the temple when they get that built, there's a special place they call the Holy of Holies where God dwells. And you would think man could have fellowship with God there, but no, what happens? There's this big veil put there. Having to separate man from God. The fellowship is just not there. And yet the promise, the promise of a restoration, the promise of an atonement, which comes uh, in, in Christ Jesus, actually. He comes and becomes our atonement. That means those, it, an atonement is talking about parties that are at odds with one another. They're warring against one another. And atonement is that which brings them back into fellowship with one another. When Christ dies on the cross. The atonement brings us back into fellowship with God. And so God's great promise to Abraham. Abraham's won this great victory. He doesn't take any of the bounty. And God comes to him. He says, don't worry, Abraham. I'm your shield. I am your very great. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this great promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it continues on throughout the New Testament, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then what do we find in Revelation 21? Lo and behold, God is here and we come in this, in this restored uh, paradise regained, the new heavens and the new earth, and God is there and the Son is there and we are there with him, a restored fellowship, restoration of the fellowship. That's what's promised. That's what's promised to us. And these are some of the things that we inherit. So what is promised? Well, new life, paradise regained, and certainly restoration of the fellowship with God. Secondly, we see in verse 13, who, was, uh, uh, who, is, who has made this promise? Look at me in verse 13 here. When God made his promise, it is God who makes his promise. We live in a world where people go back on their word quite often, don't they? They make us a promise. We'll be there at such and such a time, and then they don't show up. Or, um, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll pay you back. Checks in the mail, right? We'll take care. We, we live in a world where people don't keep their promises. But what about God? God is a God of truth. Um, and he does not lie. Look with me in Numbers, or, or you can listen to me from Numbers 23, verse 19. <clears throat> Numbers 23, verse 19. We read, uh, God is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man, that he should change his mind. God doesn't lie, doesn't change his mind. He is truth uh, itself, truth personified, if you would. That is God, he doesn't lie, and, and he has promised us these, these, uh, these things, and it is God who has promised them. But not only does he just make a promise, he, he makes it by way of an oath. And he gives to Abraham his oath in Genesis 22. He says, I swear that what I promised to you, I'm going to bring to pass. Now, someone can tell you something and that's, you know, 
You should be able to believe them, but not always. But when they say, I swear it, that should put a little more emphasis on it. And certainly God's people understood this. In uh, Exodus 22, <clears throat> in Exodus 22, 16 and 17, the giving of the law, and he says, If a man gives a donkey or an ox or sheep to another or any other animal to his neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue, uh, um, the issue between them will be settled by taking an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this and no restitution is required. <laughs> All right? person says, you took my animal and you took it and you just ate it, didn't you? Says, no, I swear, I swear it on oath. So help me God, I didn't do it. End of the matter. No more discussion, right? The, uh, if someone swears by God, the greatest one who we can swear by, we all swear by somebody greater than ourselves, right? Swear, swear my mother's grave, you know, that sort of thing. But no one is greater than God, and so when you swear by God... What you're actually saying is there were no witnesses. There were no witnesses to the death of this animal. I just went out and found it dead. I, there were no witnesses, but God is my witness. God is my witness. And he will, uh, he, he will vindicate me in this. Matter's done. And God says to Abraham, I promised you this, and I swear by it. It's an oath. No one greater to swear by, I swear by myself, I will bring this to pass. These promises to you and to your offspring after you. This is the one who's made the promise. So we've seen what the promise is, certainly of a, of a life and paradise regained and the Lord himself, fellowship with him. God is the one who's made the promise to us, thirdly. To whom uh, was the promise given? Well, we see it was given to Abraham. Certainly there in verse uh, 15, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Um, Abraham was the great example of faith. Paul talks about him as a man of faith in Romans 4, James and James 2, and Hebrews 11. We're going to see once again, Abraham is this great man of faith. In 75, he's called out of the land of Ur of Chaldees to go to the land God would show him. He goes and God promises him a great uh, heritage with uh, a number of descendants who would outnumber the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. Even changes his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many. And he comes and he, God fulfills his promise to Abraham, certainly in, a, in the child of promise when Isaac comes and Abraham's 100 and Sarah is 90. God fulfills his promise to him. But he says, you know what, Abraham, it's not just to you, but it's to you and your descendants. This covenant I'm making with you, by the way, all of God's covenants are always to you and to your descendants, right? To you and your offspring. Paul in Galatians chapter 3 um, says something quite interesting about this promise that's given to Abraham. Galatians 3 verse 16 We read, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. 
What is Paul saying? He's saying God made this promise to Abraham to fulfill, and he would fulfill all these promises to Abraham in his seed. Who's the seed? Well, it's Christ. And then Paul goes on to make the point there in Galatians chapter 3 that if we're a, if, if we're a, a, a believer in Christ Jesus, then that makes us, we're put into Christ, some of Paul's favorite wording in the, in the New Testament. We're in Christ. And if we're in Christ, and Christ is the one who receives the fulfillment of the promises, that means that we, being in Christ, by virtue of being in Christ, receive the promises as well. And so we read on in Galatians 3, verse 29, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. To whom was the promise given? Well, he's talking about Abraham here. And who finds the and who is the, is the fulfillment found? Well, it's found in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then that promise is for you too. It's for me and for all who put their trust and belief in Christ Jesus. We are called heirs according to the promise in Galatians 3. So we've seen uh, what was promised, life, paradise regained, restore relationship with God. God himself is the one who made the promise. He made it to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. It's fulfilled in Christ, so it's fulfilled in us. Fourthly, fourth point, why was the promise given? Why was this promise given? Well, we've been uh, through here. We've seen that uh, in the first part of uh, Hebrews chapter 6 how so many people look at it and they find uh, reason to doubt their own salvation or maybe, especially for these Hebrews, we're going to see that they're going through some persecution. They may begin to doubt whether God really loves them or to doubt whether uh, they, are, um, uh, they are God's people. But the author of Hebrews writes in verse 17, he says, um, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose uh, very clear to the heirs of what he has promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God wants to make it clear to us. God wants to make it clear that his promises to us are, are find their, their fulfillment in Christ. He wants us to know that he is not going to go back on his promise. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. He cannot lie. He will not go back on his promise. So God wants to make the nature of that promise clear to us. If we're in Christ, then we receive the, those promises as well. Secondly, why was a promise given? Um, verse 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, which is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We may be greatly encouraged. The word encourage here has the idea of coming alongside and standing and holding us up. Holding us up in times when we don't think we can make it ourselves. He's given us this promise and, he's, and he said it's me that's given it uh, by, by two unchangeable things. I can't lie. I, I swore by it. It's not going to change. I want you to know if you're in Christ, you receive these promises. I'm telling you this so that you can be encouraged when times are difficult, when you're hearing the preachers on television telling me my life ought to be different. And I go, I don't understand it. I want you to know God has made promises to you, and they may not be filled just right now, but the time is coming. They're going to. God will not go back on his promise. 
And so he goes on, a third thing, not only did God want to make the nature of his promise clear, not only give it to encourage us, we see here in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for, for the soul, firm and secure, an anchor for our soul. Anchor for our soul in heaven cannot be shaken. Jesus has entered into uh, the, the inner sanctuary. Uh, he says behind the curtains. Uh, Jesus went before us. That means he is a forerunner. There's a forerunner. It means there's others coming along behind. Jesus has gone before, but he's the forerunner. And he brings us with him. <clears throat> Not only does he go as our forerunner, showing the fact that we too will go in there, but he says he goes there as a high priest forever on our behalf. Jesus is going there into that inner sanctuary, into that most holy of places. He's sitting there always making intercession for us. So because of that, we have an anchor for our soul. Our anchor for, an anchor for our soul right in the most holy place in the sanctuary. And so this morning, is maybe you think of the, the, the past week, or maybe there, there are things even running through your mind right now, and you're going, this is, this is a struggle, and this just doesn't seem the way it's supposed to be for a Christian. The author of Hebrews is encouraging us, don't forget God's promises. Don't forget who made those promises. Don't forget how those promises apply to you. Don't forget why those promises were given to encourage you. Strengthen you in times of trouble. Let's pray.